This episode of Talk Speedway is brought to you in association with Wilson Craig Jewelers. To shop their huge range of jewellery, diamonds and watches, check out wilsoncraig.com. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. Hello and welcome to episode three of My Life in Speedway with myself, Scott Freeman. And of course, Graham Munsey on this week's show, we have current Team GB manager, Oliver Allen. Now, Graham, Oliver just isn't a Team GB manager. He had a career of his own prior to that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, uh, this is one we probably could have made a two-parter, Scott, and, and yeah. had, did one on his racing career and then one on his post-racing career. But, but one I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, a, a long and, and varied career from that Peterborough Thundercats team that was probably the most dominant the third tiers ever seen in the UK through Swindon, Coventry, Poland, Sweden, under 21 finals, British finals. You know, there's not much that all he didn't do in his racing career. And then, of course, as a, a World Cup or a Speedway Nations, as it was called that year, winning manager. So I'm sure we're going to have a lot to, to dive into. And let's dive into that now. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. So welcome to My Life in Speedway, Team GB, uh, Team Manager, uh, Oliver Allen. Ollie, thanks very much for, for joining us. Uh, you're not only the Team Manager of Team GB, you had a, a, a very expansive career of your own. Um, you rode for, I think, 17 or 18 seasons. Um, a lot of, lot of clubs in that time, uh, rode in World Under-21 finals, won Premier League Riders Championships, which we'll get into, represented your country. Um, but I'm going to take you back um, to the kind of mid to late 90s uh, and you were part of that Thundercats team that was so, um, that was revered at the time. A lot of riders came out of that, uh, came out of that side. Um, would he remember it, it those days? Because I see like guys like Simon Stead, David Howe, they came out of that as well. Um, would he, would he remember it those days kind of growing up in the, in the kind of Thundercats side? I suppose my... my biggest memory or biggest sort of feeling when I think about those years were just that it was it was fun it was um we all had sort of hopes and dreams and aspirations and at that time when you're that age that those dreams they all seem achievable and they all seem probably quite easily achievable <laughs> um so that's that's kind of your background thought all the time but it it, it was fun and it but it was a it was also a professional environment that Peter Oakes created for us, um, which um, laid the sort of groundwork for, for our careers, really. And um, there was obviously, you, you, like you said, there was Simon Stead, David Howe, Ross Brady um, and myself. We were the, the sort of main four that had a good career, like a, a good, you know, we made a living out of Speedway for however many years. Um, some of us longer than others, but. That was that, that. That was a really good time, and I, and I think I look at like some of the lessons that Peter taught me. I I find myself repeating them to young British riders now. You know, just and and when I and I think that I wish there were more people around like Peter guiding the youngsters because it would save me a job. <laughs> because because <laughs> some of the messages I try and get across to them. I feel they were ingrained in me young and, and they're, they're good messages. Just things like, you know, while, you know, you, your early years of Speedway, you view that, like we were taught to view that as almost like an apprenticeship and you don't worry about earning money. You worry about learning. And, and so, 
you know how do how do you learn anything you know whether it be it doesn't matter if it's a sport whatever it is any craft that you're trying to learn any skill you have to do a lot of it so our, our first lesson was you don't turn any meetings down don't turn a guest booking down don't turn an open meeting down you just go if you can get there you go and that and that was the attitude I had for 10 years before I started worrying about earning money and um, and then the, and the I suppose the theory behind that is if you if you learn enough and if you ride enough you'll learn enough that eventually you will earn money and that that comes with it um and but I you know you wouldn't believe how many riders I speak to now and you know they're 18 years old and the first thing they say is you know how much are you going to pay me and you just and um I cringe when I hear it um and I know when they're lining up to say it as well <laughs> it's just like you know um so so yeah I look back on those years as, as a lot of fun I, mean, we, I think we lost one match that year when we were I think that was I think it was 97 or 98 whenever we won the, the conference league as it was called then um we were I think we lost to Exeter away it was the only match we lost and and for a bunch of 15 year olds to go to Exeter it was a pretty scary place so it was no real <laughs> no real surprise that we lost there but um oh yeah we, we I mean we had a lot of fun there was so much there's so much rivalry though between um I mean, D David Howe was just phenomenal at 15. He was an incredible rider, really. Like, just such good control of the speed of bike. Simon and I were a little bit more raw than him because we'd gone down the grass track road as opposed to speedway. So David had a lot more speedway experience than we did. So we were trying to play catch up and Simon was ahead of me. David was ahead of Simon. So there was this kind of like chain thing going on where Simon wanted to beat David and David was a little bit out of my sight. So I just wanted to beat Simon. And our dads all wanted us to beat each other. They were more competitive than we were. So it was, it, you know, I'd, I'd find myself driving home for a meeting. It'd be like, well, my dad would say to me, how many, you know, oh, you only got seven today. How many steady get? Oh, you only got six. And oh, I didn't do too bad. You know, whereas, <laughs> it, whereas if I got 10 and Simon got 11, it'd be like, yeah. Yeah, but he done you, didn't he? And you, you know, it's just like there was there was that kind of thing, and I'm I'm sure Simon had the same conversations, but maybe that involved David as well. So, but that all that did was drag us along. I mean, it was, I think, considering it is, I I can still remember it now. I I'm, I think our averages were like, I think David's was like eleven point two or something, and Simon's would have been nine, and mine would have been eight, and that was our first year of national league, and that's you know, that, that's pretty good really when you think about having I mean, David's in particular. Um, so, so yeah, it was a good, good times, mate. Good, a really good club. Like I was fortunate at times in my career, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute, different clubs, but Peterborough was, was up there with the most professional clubs I ever rode for when it was under Peter Oaks. Um, him and his, and, and his daughter, Sarah were, were fantastic promoters and looked after their riders. And, and that's really set us off on the right foot. Yeah. And then of course that Thundercats team formed the basis of the Premier League winning team. In 98 yeah. as well, you mentioned yourself, Simon and David all stepped up. I think Ross had a few matches in there as well. Mm -hmm. and, and I guess as a 15, 16, 17-year-old, you must have thought, this is easy. You know, kind of two years. Yeah. 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 Titles. yeah, that's right. Yeah, we yeah we won. Yeah, I think that we won the Knockout Cup and the league that year with, with Peterborough. We won the National League the year before, Conference League, whatever it was called then. Um, And, it you know, it just seemed, I don't know, um, it, was, it was brave of Peter Oakes to do that because I think, my birthday falls in the in the middle of the season, so Simon and David started the year with Peterborough. But when I came in, he had Oaksy had to drop Paul Clues, who was you know in all fairness at that time was better than me. Um, but Peter was looking at the long game really, and um, and and dropped me in, and 
and um, stood by me and and yeah, like that was that was it. We we went and we when we had a really good team. I mean, Glenn Cunningham was a brilliant Premier League rider then. Jan Anderson was Nigel Sadler, Brett Woodfield. They're all really really good riders. So, um, you know, we we're fortunate to be around them. And yeah, it was a good year, big massive learning curve. But yeah, like you say, after two years of speedway, it did seem fairly easy to win a title. Oli, I'm glad you brought up kind of Peter Oakes. He was on my kind of list of questions that I was going to going to ask you. I didn't expect you to go into that much depth straight away. Um, but it's interesting that, that you say exactly that about about Peter Oakes and the, the kind of influence he had on you when you were younger. And I guess it's probably a kind of lesson to some some guys about maybe who they, they kind of take in as an influence. You don't have to have had a world-class career to have an influence on a young rider as well, which is exactly what you've you, you've just said there. I mean, the, the kind of lessons that, they, that he learned, uh, but there was obviously that kind of, that, that respect there right for the, for the get-go with, with Peter as well. Yeah, and, you know, at the time when I signed for Peter, Brett, and I met, my, my dad knew Peter a little bit from, from when he rode, um, but there was probably, there was more of a connection. Um, the, I think my sort of first link to Peterborough was Kevin Hawkins was the team manager and my for the senior team and my dad rode with Kevin at Peterborough so that was the kind of link to me going there then I got to know Peter um, and it's funny because at the time I didn't I didn't know who Peter Oakes was you know but instantly I had this um, this this respect for him that I, I don't know you know it's obviously obviously the way he handles himself and the way he conducts himself creates that um, I learned later later on, like after getting to know Peter, and it went further. Sort of, you know, that, well, I went down the road with him a bit further. I got to know that he was like Ivor Major's manager, and and you know, and then then I then I sort of and because he he's not someone that would shout about that. He no. would, you know, he'd he'd quite happily talk about it to his close friends or or, or riders if you ask. But once I learned that, I then realised, wow, like this guy. Well, I mean, I already had the respect for him, mm-hmm. but that just just backed it up. So. um and yeah, he was, he was, you know, it's, he, you know, he, if I now doing the, doing the, the Great Britain job, I still talk to him before every major event. So, and you know, the, the week of the World Cup, like while I'm away in Poland, I will speak to Peter and, and ask him if I've got, if I'm not sure how to handle something or what to do about something, I will speak to him. And he, and I'll be honest, even when it comes to team selection, I will all, uh, if I, if I'm 50, 50 on something, I will consult him. Um, and, and to be fair to him, he'll never give me the answer, but he leads me down that road. So he'll, he'll ask me questions. He has a good way of asking me questions that he knows I know the answer to, and that leads me to a certain <laughs> rider. Um, he, he's, he's clever enough not to say, he would never say to me, pick this team because I think he's, you know, if that went wrong, then, that's not good. But what he does is he asks me questions that lead me a certain way. And, and and every decision that I, since Simon and I have done that job, I think every decision we've made, I wouldn't change it. Like when it comes to team selection. So, you know, he's, he's a good guy. Yeah. And then of course, after you kind of mentioned 98 and, and Peter Oaks there, 99, Peter Brown moved up back to, I guess it would have been called the elite league at the time. And, and you moved on to Swindon and that probably started quite a, quite a nomadic, spell for you you know there was a mm. you kind of looked through the, the lost of clubs o- over your career and yeah maybe well, wasn't I, 10 I think... years in any one place or anything and, and was that just no. circumstance I, I mean, or I, I think there was a period there where i did i mean i i, I signed for uh i signed for 
Swindon when I was 17 or, or 16 and then going to 17 that season. I didn't leave there till I was 22, which at, at that period in British Speedway, and it's even worse now, but even then, for any rider to spend six years at a club was oh, five, five years, six years, was, was not unheard of, but it was rare. Um, and people will always look back on my career and, and look at it as, you know, because if you look from Swindon onwards, I changed clubs regularly. Um, but actually, five years, six years in, in a row as a young rider like that is, is not that common. Um, so I have quite a sort of connection, really, to Swindon Speedway. And I learned an awful lot there. And, I you know, I started off at reserve and really struggled for the first half of the first season. And and I, I left there. Then we, we went sort of, I went through the ranks as a Premier League rider, so second division, and 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 left there as a number one. Um, oh, we, I think we then went to Elite League, and and then I, I left that season, or like at the end of that season. So, um, yeah, it, 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 you know, if you look at, I sort of I went from a Premier League reserve to an Elite League second string at one club. So that was quite a quite a good thing, and and it's, it's often overlooked when people, you know, look at my career. I think. Oh, you mentioned that there. So obviously, the early part of your your career's kind of spent at, at, at Peter Brown Swindon. So there was that kind mm. of stability there for you as well. Obviously, but Peter Oakes was at Swindon as well. Oh, was he? There yeah, you yeah. go. <laughs> the yeah, definite, yeah. definite stability yeah, then. Yeah. Um, so, like within that period, we've obviously spoke about your your kind of an rivalry between Simon David Tow, perhaps Ross Brady thrown in the mix mm. here as well. But who was like your kind of influences and kind of guys that you looked up to, the kind of senior guys? Um, I mean, I, I had some good influences and some bad ones over the years. Really, um, I, you know, early days at Peterborough when I was doing second half, so when I was a um, doing National League, then it would have been Jason Crump. You know, he was someone that, uh, he was in the Elite League at Peterborough. I mean, he's, we, we all know him. He obviously did the podcast with him. Um, he's, you know, he's fantastic. And, and and what a person to look up to. And he was just the, the ultimate sort of pro. Um, and so he would be a, a, a positive influence. And, and over the year, I'll tell you a story about him later on, about, about some, sort of the influence he had on me. Um, but, there were, there were, I, I, I don't like to, yeah, I suppose it would be profession, like professionalism wise, someone, there were other people that were, were less of a good influence. So when we then, when I then got involved in Premier League racing and, and our number one was Glenn Cunningham, um, don't get me wrong, Glenn Cunningham was a fantastic rider, Premier League rider, um, again, Premier League riders champion like myself. Um, and he had really good equipment and all that stuff, but he was a pisshead. No, he was. He was just, you know, every Friday after Peter, on a Friday night, he'd be in the pub and someone would have to drive him his van home, his mechanics, because he'd have had seven or eight Jack Daniels. Now, I, 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 I at that period in my career, I was really like um, easily, easily influenced. And, and I looked at it and, and he actually went to Swindon the following year with me. Like I went to Swindon and, and I, you know, so did he. And I was, so I was around him for a couple of years and I watched him and he always had like cool bikes and scoring loads of points and he had loads of women and he was, you know, like <laughs> drinking all the time. And I thought, and there's a part of me that thought, well, that's, you know, that's a pretty good way to live. <laughs> um, and that was obviously, a, and you know, I, I know now that was a negative influence on me. And sometimes I got drawn into that life um, and you sort of chase that a little bit and you're chasing 
um, you're just trying to burn the candle at both ends, really. Um, and then you just you just can't can't sustain that. And and my, and my I, my career went through. I, I know I went through ups and downs as far as sort of my level of commitment was concerned. And I had periods where I I knuckled down and worked hard, and 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 the results were good. And then and then I had a you know for for whatever reason that may be, I I had periods where I. I no, off the rails is not the right not the right phrase really it wasn't that bad but it was just slightly less focused and and my focus was elsewhere um and possibly on in, enjoying myself as opposed to trying to achieve more than I was um so was, was and, there a particular sliding doors moment then Ollie for you that, yeah, that, that, that yeah, basically yeah. kind of took you away from that to kind of knuckle down so to speak yeah so, so my in my sort of early years of racing, uh, from I, 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 so when I was about, I don't know, 19, eight, 18, I think 18, I was in racing in Australia and I met, I started going out with Jason Crump's sister, um, randomly. Um, and, and we, and we, we were together sort of three, four years. And, and in that she was, a, she was like her brother, like a, sort of an ambitious kind of, uh, you know, do thing if you're going to do it, do it right kind of attitude. And that rubbed off on me. And that was, that was a, that if I look at my progress over those years, it was a steady upward curve. Um, and I knew where I wanted to go and, and she would steer me away from certain things in certain situations. And then, and then, and then when that relationship ended and I um, was a, was a free man and I just thought I'm going to, I just wanted to live my life differently for, for a period of time. And, and, and my, my career went downhill for a couple of years and it really did. You know, I had a, a real, really stale couple of years. I mean, if I, when I was, I don't know, when I, when I was 20 years old and I, and I, I look at, I compare it now to, to some of our young British riders who think they're going to make it and whatever. And don't get me wrong. It's great to dream. Um, you need that. But I, I, I look at, I, I think I signed for a Swedish elite club, elite league club. So their top division when I was 19. Um, and I held my own there for three years. Um, we, we we are we we are a really long way from having any Great Britain rider in the Swedish Elite League. Well, to be honest, the Swedish Elite League isn't what it used to be anyway. It'd be the equivalent of riding in the Polish Extra League. You know, you just is and 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 then I think, well, I didn't I didn't even make it to to where I wanted to be. Do you know what I mean? But at nineteen, I was doing that. So like, it, it tells you the, the sort of levels we're talking about. And and that was at a period in my life where I was sort of more dedicated. And then. I went. I went through periods where, you know, after that, I had a sort of a lull where I where I wasn't, and my, and my form tailed off. Um, and you you talk about this light bulb moment again. It goes back to Peter Oakes. He'd moved on to Coventry then, and I'd had a few years without him. And he said to me, he's building a team at Coventry one winter, and he rang me, and I was in Australia. I was staying with Ivan Major actually, and and that was set up by by Peter. I, I lived with lived with Ivan, um, and 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 Peter said to me, he's like right. He said, I want you to come to Coventry. He said, but he said, uh, you, you've got a decision to make. He, and, and, and he said to me, I don't mind. He said, I'll always look out for you. And I'll always, you know, I'll always have a soft spot for you, whatever you choose to do. But your decision is, you are, do you want to be a professional sort of Premier League rider and party and have a good time and probably not achieve too much or do you want to try and go down a different road and try and achieve more and we'll try and get you in the Great Britain team and, and we'll try and win the elite league and you know what do you want to be like and he said if you choose the second one he said oh, you can sign with Coventry now um he said but you have to if I think you're not 
behaving in that way, then you won't be in the team. And and, and it was a no-brainer. He even said he wouldn't take my decision right there and then. He said, oh, he said, come back to me a week. He said, think about it for a week and then come back to me. And he said, and then, he said if you're sure, then that's what we'll do. So that, And that's what I did. And um, the rest of my career, really, I, I was fairly focused on what I wanted to do. I was riddled with injuries, but I, my head was in the right place and I knew what I wanted to achieve. And and and, and that was that, really. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that there, and it was, it was probably a question I was going to save for, for later and maybe when we're talking about the Team GB um, job now, but when do you think that maybe change in the sport? And, and it might be, it's not as, as changed as something from that kind of weekend warrior. I think when we had Sean Wilson on and was it Birds, mm. Booze and Bikes or whatever, the Channel 5 yeah. documentary and <laughs> Rip Pop and, you know, that, that kind of scenario, whereas to now, whereas, you know, as you mentioned, you've yeah. got, okay, maybe it's went too far and it's all about money for somebody. You've got 16, 17 year olds with two vans, eight bikes, that and and it's a good thing in some ways. It's a bad thing, another. But was it about that time, that kind of late nineties, early two thousands, where you think that switch came, or was it a bit later than that? Well, well, first of all, you touched on something there that I think is pretty um, important, um, and that is: is it a good thing or bad thing? Now, if you talk, if, if we're talking about British league crowds, I actually think it's a bad thing <laughs> because one of the best things about British Speedway used to be that you could, as a fan, you could go and you go in the bar at the end of the meeting have a beer with one of the riders and get their autograph and talk to them about how they got on. And now those days are gone. Am I right? Like mm. I, I don't go to too many speedway bars, but I, I, you know, whenever I go to Kings Inn and watch, I'll always just go in the bar at the end and, and, and have a coffee or something before I drive home. And there's, it's, there's no riders in there. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think speedway, British speedway misses that. It really does. Like, uh, you know, that used to be, you know, the Northern Tours, we used to go, you know, we couldn't wait to get in the bar. And, and we wouldn't go and get pissed, but we, I couldn't wait to get in the bar at Edinburgh and Glasgow and Berwick and see the fans. And Because they were, um, I always had a big soft spot for the the, um, the Scottish fans because I, I don't know why, I just found them very welcoming. And and you, so it would always always be great to go in there. You'd see the same people every year. I didn't know their name, but you'd, you know, you'd, you'd have a drink with them and have a laugh with them and they'd take the piss out of you or whatever it may be. And, um, and and that I, I feel like that side of speedway is gone, and that's a shame. Um, but like every other sport and profession, you know, times move on, and and and, and I think I don't think there's ever I don't think there's been like a I don't think you could pinpoint a time because I think what happened is I think and, I, and I've thought about this a lot. I think if you if you go back to the sixties, right? So Ovi Funding started to do it. He, he started to take it to another level. So then Ivan Major did, and then Ollie Olsen cottoned onto it. And then you've got, and then, you know, at the time, then there was like one rider doing it or two. Then, you know, as the years go on, there's five or six doing it. Then then I think probably in the 80s, the Danes were doing it. You know, they, they you know, they'd learned from Ollie how to behave and what to do. And and then and then you got Tony taking it to another level. And, and I think that, and now you've got to the stage where everyone's doing it. Um, and, and it's all about, you know, whatever sport you're in, you're all trying to find that little advantage. Now, in 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 the Speedo Grand Prix, now everyone is is sober pretty much, and everyone is fit. So they're they're looking at something else now. You're talking about marginal gains, like tiny percentages to be better. But I, I think it's just been a sliding scale over the years. It's just slowly got more professional, and 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 that feeds its way down, doesn't it? Like you know, the to start off with, it was just Ivan at the very top doing it. And then you've got the top 10, 10 GP riders in the world doing it. And now you've got 
everyone in the extra league in Poland are doing it. No matter what your age, they know what the lifestyle is they need to live and they know what their body weight needs to be and all this kind of stuff. And it just feeds its way down. And um, that, I mean, that whether that's a good or bad thing for the sport, I don't know. I mean, I think I'd imagine safety wise for the riders, it's certainly a good thing because they're fitter and stronger and sharper. And, you know, that's a great thing. I mean, I remember the days um, I, I was still, when I first started riding in Sweden in like early 2000s, there would be, that was pre Ryanair. So you'd always fly with like Scandinavian airlines normally or British airways. And you tended to get a flight from Sweden somewhere in Sweden, Stockholm, Gothenburg, you know, wherever you were, you'd fly into Copenhagen, which was kind of your hub. And then from Copenhagen, they'd all, because they're all British-based riders then, you know, Tony Ricardson, Peter Carlson, Michael Max, Thomas Golob, they're all riding in England. And Billy Hamill, Billy De Niro, all these guys, all coming back to England on a Wednesday. And I reckon 30% of them were hungover. Uh, this is like early 2000s. And I, that's not an exaggeration. I genuinely, you know, Henker Gustafsson, Stefan Dano, like these guys, they're all like, they're, they're still you know, if you just breathalyze them at 10 o'clock in the morning, they're, they're all, you know, 30% of them are over the limit. And that's 20 years ago, but it's, it's different now. Um, but so, so I think sort of probably safety wise and stuff like that, it's certainly we're in a better place, but um, no, I, I do think you, the fans miss that engagement, don't they? Absolutely. Uh, just to take the focus back to yourself, Ollie, um, during that kind of early period of, of your career as well, you managed to make two World Under-21 finals in 2002, 2003. Uh, what's your memories of, of, of competing at the kind of world level at that, mm-hmm. at that stage of your life? Um, I remember they were like big goals for me at the start of the year to reach those finals. And the first one I went to in Slani in Czech Republic, I wasn't, I didn't go there with any big ambitions I, I think I wanted to make the top eight I think I really struggled um I wasn't at the time I wasn't sort of strong enough on those types of track and and you know I deserved to finish where I did really um the following year it was in Kumla and I remember that really well because I was doing the Swedish elite league then and we'd had we'd had two league matches at Kumla and I got double figures both times away from home the world finals at Kumla so I'm thinking if I qualify for this one I stand a good chance of doing something here um and then I broke my scaphoid, I think, at King's Lynn about a week before. Um, and I tried to ride at um, Kumla, couldn't couldn't hold on. I think, and I think in, uh, I think I, I snapped two primary chains in the first two races, and both times when it's they snapped, it made me crash. I knocked my hand again, and I was, I was done. And I remember being, I was supposed to fly home the following day, and I was so sort of distraught. It was like the end of the world to me at that time. So I, I took like I took a week off and went and stayed with some friends in Sweden and just did, didn't come home because I couldn't just I just couldn't face face everyone. Um, so yeah, I, I I remember Kumla really well uh, and just being hurt, really hurt, like sort of emotionally. Yeah, and and you've mentioned Sweden a few times. You, you jumped over there pretty early. I think you said two thousand and two, a mm. um, mm. couple of years in Sweden, and then also probably the best part of a decade in Poland as well. So. Mm. You know, those must have been great opportunities, as a, as you mentioned, as a what? Yeah. A 19-year-old kid at first going over to Sweden and then a couple of years later, yeah. oh, and just as it was starting to explode, you know, yeah. there must have been as much fun and joy over there as there was in the UK. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I to be honest, uh, but my, if you look, probably if you were to compare, say, what my scores were like in Poland compared to, say, someone like Simon Stead or, uh, and then, 
and then look at our British league scores. So he was always a lot better in, in Britain than me. He, he, his style sort of suited British league tracks a bit more than mine did. Um, but but Pol- the bigger tracks in Poland always suited me. And, I, you know, I had had a good career there for a while and, and earned good money. And, and um, I soon realised that that was where the money was at. And that's where I probably, I, I shouldn't, I, I shouldn't have done it, but it's it's a natural thing for a young guy to do. I think, and you, I I I would make sure my my best engines were always in Poland, and and that because that's I earned more money there. It was simple as that. So I would always make sure, you know, even if it meant I had to sacrifice going to a track in England that I knew I needed my Polish engine, but I just think look, I can't take the risk of it not being in Poland next week. So I would I just do that because I I'd earn more there. So. Um, I was pretty switched on to that, um, but yeah, is it, I, I had a, had a good time in Poland. I I, when, I remember when I first went, I couldn't believe the size of the crowd and and how enthusiastic they were. And I remember the the first team I rode for, we got relegated at the end of the season, and there were kids like the the, the pits were sort of caged in, and there were kids crying up against the, the cage. Um, I just and I just thought, I'm like, I was just blown away that it meant that much to them. Um, so I mean, if you've never been to Polish Speedway, um, it, the nearest thing you can compare it to is football in England, isn't it? It's that it's that level of like sort of support, I think. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned earlier, obviously, that move to 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 kind of Coventry and Graham's already kind of touched on it. That um, you rode for a number of clubs uh, after leaving kind of Swindon, including Kings Lynn, Eastbourne, Ipswich, um, Somerset. Uh, I think was your last club. Forgive me. If yeah, yes. Yeah. So I, I started the year at Peterborough. Um, I th- in my last year, and I did like three matches, and then dislocated my foot pretty badly. So that was the end of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so would you say that, that after the kind of Swindon and kind of Peterborough period that Coventry was, I mean, I, I think I think for me as well, probably if I think back, the, the kind of clubs I would kind of associate you with are Swindon, Peterborough and, and, yeah. and Coventry. And Coventry really, was that probably a bit one of, one of your more kind of happier times at Coventry as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coventry was, um, Coventry was a good time, really. Good club. Again, Peter Oaks was there. Um Colin Pratt was there um, and Sandu ran, ran it um, and he was a good guy to ride for. And um, yeah, we won, I think we won the league there a couple of times and knockout cup. And uh, I think it was called the Craven Shield. I think something like that. They uh, won that. Um, and yeah, that, that, that was good. I mean, I, you know, it was a bit, I, what I remember, there, there were big crowds on a Friday night, you know, you rode, it was back when, Clubs had a certain home night, and you know you you raced to Coventry every Friday. You know if if there wasn't a match, there'd be a challenge or an open meeting or something. Um, yeah, re- really good times. Or you know they 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 always sort of delivered what they said they were going to, and um, yeah, they made, you sort of felt like at the time they were. I think they were the biggest club in the in the UK. They were sort of the most secure. Them and Pool, I suppose. Pool were a big club. But pulling, but I felt felt I, for me as a Speedway fan, I always felt like Coventry had that history, you know, a bit like Bellevue do. Um, uh, sort of a famous older club, aren't they? Probably than Pool. Um, so so yeah, yeah, really good times. I mean, if if you were to ask me who my home club is, um, it, like geographically it's Kings Lynn, but my home club is Peterborough, and because I started there, I finished there, um, and. 
uh, and my dad rode spent most of his time there um so for me that's that's still like that's what i class as my home club and and the year i retired i'd done a two-year deal with jed uh jed rathbone yeah mm-hmm. um who i who i got on really well with you know i had a good relationship with him and i, I did a two-year deal with them and i was going to retire and that was the plan and um yeah three meetings in and i was done unfortunately it was a shame but it would have been nice to end there, you know, it, like end there properly. That would have, that would have, don't say, is that an iron brew? You're not drinking iron brew. Yeah. No, it's... <laughs> Honestly. You, I like could, the could you be, could you, it, you get, get yourself some haggis and, and you'll be as Scottish as you can get. Well, you can't just, I'm off camera. I'm wearing a see you Jimmy hat. You know, oh, okay. Yeah, the, right. The car's coming out of the side just now as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I sort of class Peter as home, but. Yeah, go on. Yeah, you mentioned Peterborough there in the end, and and you know, not to bring it down, but you, you mentioned earlier just a a list of injuries as you particularly towards the end of your career. I mean, mm. I, I took some notes down when I I, I did the probably the a terrible Google of all Allen injuries, yeah. and there's there's a few too many pages on there for anyone's life. Oh, yes. you know, you know, two thousand and twelve, yeah. I think was it a wrist or an arm. Two thousand and thirteen, the same. Yeah, yeah. So a, a really yeah, bad but... ankle in two thousand fifteen that ultimately ended your yeah. racing career yeah i mean i i had i mean the, the worst ones for me were probably um i it was around when i was at coventry i um it was a really sort of bad period sort of sad period of my life really I, I, my my mum passed away from cancer she'd had been battling that for a while and then that was sort of middle of the week and then i i raced at coventry on the friday went and raced in poland on the sunday Flew back into Bellevue on the Monday, and I first bend crash, um, and I um, fractured my shoulder blade, and I completely tore my rotator cuff, which is like the sort of the muscle that sort of holds all your shoulder together. And for the next five years, I was just plagued with shoulder injuries. Like I, I would, uh, my shoulder would just pop, like I would crash and it would pop out, and. I got to the stage where the ligaments had got that loose, so I could put it back in. Like I, it would pop out and it would go back in, and and two days later I'd be ready to race again. But it just it held me up so much um, because as you always felt like I always felt like as soon as I was building some some momentum, I would um, damage my shoulder again. Um, but then like you said, I had the arm injury, so I go. Um, what was the first one? First one was yeah, I was racing in Poland and someone's bike broke down and I hit him. And um, then the rider behind me hit me and I snapped my forearm and I had a big plate put in it. Following the year, crashed at Rye House, snapped the same bone just past the plate. So I had to remove the plate, put a longer one in. Um, so that was a bad one. Yeah, I dislocated. Oh, no, I broke my tibia and fibula when I was in Poland as well, a couple of years prior to that. And that, that was probably the best. Probably as, I was riding as good as I ever had done then. I was heat leader at Coventry and number one in Poland and... Um, yeah, and I, I broke my tibia and fibula, and I don't think I ever really rode as well as that again. I don't think I don't know why that is, but I, I don't. That was probably the best form I ever had. I think. Do you so, think yeah. that got to you kind of mentally at that point? Then with the injuries um, that were kind of failing up. Matt, I know it really, it really, that one bothered me more than anything because I felt like I was riding really well, and I felt like I sort of deserved to be in the World Cup team that year, and these sorts of things. And it just, it just came at a bad time. Um, so I think it probably scarred me a little bit. Um, 
it, it may have got to me mentally a little bit. I think it, I don't think it, I wouldn't say it frightened me, but I think it pissed me off a lot. Like it upset me um, more than I probably let on at the time. Um, yeah, just, just, just bad timing really. Um, lots of concussions and various things over the years. So, um, but it's, you know, it comes to the territory, doesn't it? You know, and I, and I don't, overall if I look back on my career and I you know I got away really lightly really lightly you know I, I you know I, I, I saw Lawrence Hare a few weeks ago went to his dad's funeral and um, mm. you know I look at a guy like him and I think that you know what right have I even got to talk about a broken leg or arm do you know what I mean mm -hmm. I mean, you, you look at things like that so you know it's the, it's the game you it's the gamble you take when you do these sports um I'm pretty. I like. I I see things. Uh, my, my sort of my my view on things when when it comes to like motorcycle sports and stuff like that is that you know you can hurt yourself crossing the road. So you you know if you if you prepare yourself properly and do things the right way, then you you limit your chances, don't you? Um, and if you love it, you go for it and 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 you know the risks. So yeah, it's um tough tough old sport, but but you know uh, i consider myself lucky really to have the career i did absolutely uh, and you mentioned although we've talking about the injuries at the, the latter end of your career look the what what would be considered i don't know if it was the premier league then or the the, the championship this we'll just call it the second tier for the mm. for the sake of clarity about um but you spent uh, the 2013 season at rye house and then 2014 you were at you were at somerset as both me and kind of graham will remember because of the battles we had in for that that yeah, season yeah. um but just to kind of take it back to the kind of rye house one that's when yeah. the, the premier league riders championship um yeah. Was was then in the bag. That that must have been a major achievement. I oh mean, yeah. Not not taking a bit. Yeah. Not to say that you were old at the time, but at that no. stage of your career, that's that's a that's a massive massive thing. Yeah, that, was, that was big. I I really enjoyed that, and that, that probably stands out as the biggest sort of individual thing I ever won. Um, for me. Um, and it was a weird season, really, because I my my brother rode for Rye House for like six or seven years. And because of my brother's connection to Rye House, I'd, I'd spend a bit, I'd often go and watch him on a Saturday night and fly out to Stansted Sunday morning to go to Poland. So I was, I spent a lot of time at Rye House over the years. And then, and Len Silver was someone I always had a lot of respect for, got on really well with. And he always said to me, he said, like, when he said, Ollie, when you're done in the Elite League and you decided that, you know, you had enough, give me a call and you can always come to Rye House and you can finish your career here. And I remember how well they looked after my brother and right house wasn't my sort of track but i just remember the i know he got treated so well there um like uh, in particular financially they you know he, they were a really good club for that uh, and i thought oh, you know it's not a bad place to go so when i decided i thought oh, you know do you know what i'm gonna I'm gonna carry on riding in poland but i might i'm just gonna do premier league so i rang len and he you know quickly done a deal and i went there and i had a, I had a crap season i just 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 i, I love the away matches but i hated riding at right house every week um, and the Premier League riders came up and, I, you know, I, I knew I went well on the bigger tracks and it was at Sheffield. So I fancied my chances. And, and actually, the, when we were talking about engines earlier, I made sure that week I brought my Polish engine home. Um, so I, I think I was at, I think it was a Berwick the night before. And I think I, I used my spare bike in the first race and got a last. Then I got my Polish engine and won four races. Um, and then I was like, right, OK, we're ready, ready for now, ready now for Sheffield. <laughs> And then went there and and um, and won it. And um, that, was, that was yeah, it was a great meeting. It was, it was a tough lineup. There was like Doily and Cookie and um, I don't know the Worrells were in it. Who else was in the final? 
Oh, Magnus Carlsen. Magnus was riding really well that night. Um, I think he was top point scorer, actually, I think, that night. Um, and I, it was weird. It, it, it was a funny night because um, people would always, I, I would imagine most people would remember me being someone who would, I wouldn't overtake many people, but I wouldn't make, make good starts. And then that night I wasn't gating at all. Um, well, I say at all. I look back on the video. They were they're bad gates for me in that I didn't get their first hardly ever. I got their sort of second. So they were kind of all right gates. But for me, I felt like they were, they were crap. Um, Going to be a bit of just, company as well, I suppose, Ollie. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But I'd always fancy my chances to beat them out of the gate, you know, more, more often than not. But it just, yeah, it just sort of, I was I was amazed when I got left with I think gate four in the final. Someone did like they didn't go for it. I think I had third pick, and gate four was still available. And I was like rubbing my hands together. And I thought, yeah, I fancy this from here. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was good. Yeah, good, good one to win, mate. That was. Um, and I, unfortunately, I, I think the following year I went to I went to Somerset and I had a much better season at Somerset. It was really strong at home and like you say, we had some great battles with Edinburgh. I think I missed I missed the playoff final because yeah. of a concussion. A concussion, I think. Um, but yeah, had, had a really good year there. I think we won the. No, we didn't win the pairs. Edinburgh beat us in the pairs, didn't you? Like we that was Edinburgh that. Edinburgh won everything that year, I think. <laughs> yeah, Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Who got excluded in the final? Nick Morris. Me yeah, and Nick yeah. were against Max Sam and, and Simon Max Rick. Sam yeah, yeah. Max Rick. Yeah, yeah, and um, and bloody uh, Morris made contact with uh, Max on the first corner, didn't he? And um. Old Jimmy Boy McGregor excluded him. Um, There's Glasgow so fans give... screaming at this podcast at I, the I, moment. I, I, I still give Jim shit for that every time I see him. Um, so yeah, I, do you know what? I remember going out for the fi- the, the rerun of the final because obviously the pairs format is if you win the race, you need to come second and third, don't you? A win doesn't cover anything. It's like what is it four three two zero? So they, I'm thinking like it's on Sky Sports. There's a massive crowd you've got to put all four back in just for the sake of the sport. You know, if, if it's, even if it's a 60, 40 decision in favor of Edinburgh, you know, on who you think is going to get excluded for the sake of the sport, for God's sake, just go all four back. I always viewed things like that. Like from the point, from speed race point of view, do you yeah. get it? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just, just make a race of it. So it excludes, excludes Nick. And I'm a, I remember lining up at the start line and I could just see, just people just leaving the stadium. Like the race hasn't even started because it's over, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. Edinburgh have won. And, you know, I just thought you've like the meetings boiled down to this sort of crescendo and you you go and ruin it like that. Um, yeah, I remember that. We were on the fours though. Somerset were on the fours. I remember that. Um, and that was at Peterborough. So that's a good memory for me because that felt like home. So so that was all right. Um, but I didn't defend the Premier League riders because again, it comes down to Poland. I had a Polish playoff final. Um and my Polish club, they, they basically paid me off and my club off not to do the PLRC. So I just sort of asked, I remember ringing like, ringing Somerset, the club, and saying that, you know, I can't do the PLRC. And they're like, you are. And I was like, mm. And I had, a bit, I had a bit of a backhander from Poland. And they were like, oh, okay, go on then. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, but that's how, you know, that's how it was. And, you know, you just, those sort of deals went on and, um, you, you 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 can't argue with the money out there, unfortunately. Um, so it's a shame not to try and defend it, especially as, as it was against Steady. Um, but but there you go, one of those things. Yeah, and and you mentioned Steady there, and of course you started your career with with Simon and, and David Howe, and I, I think 
probably for the first few years after the life Peterborough, I remember how instead of having a pretty big rivalry, there was a, a British under oh, yeah. one final Armadale mm-hmm. where how won it, and I think yeah. he, he knocked Steady off the final. Was there any rider like that for you during your career? Just that one rider that didn't seem to matter who you were riding for, who they were riding for, where it was, wherever, that just every time just something seemed to happen? Um, not, not, no, not really. I mean, I, um, Simon was always the one I compared myself to. Um, and he was, he, because I'd known him for so long. So he was always my sort of comparison. Um, but, there was no one I, I don't think it was, I mean, I obviously had a clash with Kelvin Tate on TV, didn't I? Um, but I didn't, um, there's, there's, yeah, I, I, I did, yeah, there's no, there's no rider I was particularly drawn to. I think, I think I wouldn't have said that there was a sort of, I think there was a, probably a period in my career where I wasn't very popular among, amongst my sort of racing peers, but um, that sort of thing never really bothered me. Like I, I, I sort of took the view that, um, I, I always viewed it that you, my, my friend, like I, I didn't, I did, I didn't really care what other riders thought about me because when I went home to Norwich, I didn't, I didn't socialize with these people. I didn't, I didn't speak to them. I didn't, I, and that's not, I'm not, not because they were bad people. I just, they weren't my friends. Like my, my friends have got nothing to just do with Speedway and don't care about Speedway. Um, so if, whether they, I would rather earn a couple more points and someone dislike me than I would, you know, be their mate and, you know, lost out on hundred quid. It, it was, that's the, just the view I took it. It was a job. And, 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 and to be fair, I think I was, and I would tell anyone this, any young rider, this, my, my dad always said to me, like you, there's, there's nothing wrong with like not giving anyone any room, but, but when people do it to you, don't ever moan about it. Mm-hmm. And and I and I honestly I did it my whole career and and if if someone like closed a gap that I you know that you know you're trying to pass someone up my my view was if you're in front you can go where you want I also and, and my dad also used to say to me if if you get dive bombed you know you see people get dive bombed into the corner and you get knocked off your leg taken away if anyone ever did that to me when I was younger my dad would say to me you're not going fast enough son because if he can go if he can go past you and still get around the corner then he, he, that's the speed you should be going. So that's the kind of view I took on it. So if anyone ever knocked me off like that, I would just my I was like, well, I'm not going quick enough. And then, and if there, if someone closed the gap, I would think, well, they're in front, they're allowed to. And and I and and I just sort of flipped it for when I rode. So I never moaned about it, and I didn't expect people to moan about it to me. And people would, people would call me names or whatever, and but I didn't bother me uh, because I'd go back to Norwich and wouldn't see that person again for a month, and that's just what it was. Like I don't, that's just sort of how I viewed it, really. Uh, you mentioned a man earlier when you were at, at my house and and went over. I'm kind of curious, um, because uh, a few years ago when the the Barry bullets were down at Kent, I managed to spend probably about an hour kind of speaking to Len Silver, and I could probably have sat there for about four days straight just listening oh, to him talking yeah. and telling stories and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, he's quite an incredible figure within the in the sport as well. Yeah. Um, obviously you had a relationship with him obviously if your brother had raced for him at mm. my house as well but what kind of for, for those that don't know Len Silveroli what, what kind of character was was he um, probably old school was probably the, the, yeah. word, the word savages yeah. but yourself you probably know him better than me he was an old school almost Del Boyish type character I mean he was raised in the east end of London wheeler dealer um you know, would would make sure he earned a quid every day somehow. 
um, called a spade a spade. Um, but he, it, it, like, I know I never signed a contract with him. My brother never signed a contract with him. Year on, he rode there for like six or seven years, never signed a contract. Len used to say to him, you know, I'll look after you. And and Tommy's money used to go up every year. <laughs> It'd be like, <laughs> Tommy, but I haven't even improved. Like my average isn't even got any better. And he'd just get paid more. And and Len would just and 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 I'd because I'd say to my brother in the winter, I'd be like, what you know, what are you getting paid? And he'd be like, I don't know, but it's always all right. And I'm like, Well, what do you mean you don't know? And he's like, I don't. And and then, you know, he'd come around, you know, end of March, first meeting, get his paycheck. Oh, you know, and then he texts me, he'd be like, oh, I'm on so and so a point. Nothing bloody hell. It's all right. And it, and and when I signed for Len, he said to me, you'll get a fair deal. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and I, I said to my brother about it, I said, I don't know. I don't know, don't know what to do. Don't know what to sign. And he said, well, you'll, he said, you'll see. And, and then, you know, within a, within a week or so, I had a check come through the post for sign non fee. I hadn't agreed. Um, and it was all right. You know, it was, it was, it, it wasn't outrageous, but it was what a number one deserved. And that's just the type of bloke he was. And he was just a, you know, a, a handshake for him was enough. Um, and, and that's the sort of, you know, he was a lovable rogue, I think. Um, heart, he, you know, his heart was in the right place, loved Speedway. But I mean, the stories he could tell you about, you know, scandalous stories about the way he got by when he was younger. And, you know, I think he, you know, he had run-ins with the craze and all sorts of things in the East End of London. Like, you know, just, he's lived some life, really has. Um, I'd go, I'd go skiing with my brother every winter as part of the Rye House team. And Len was, I mean, Len was still skiing at 75. Like, and, and when I say skiing, he's skiing all day, every day. Like, you know, incredible. Um, yeah, yeah, really good guy, really good family. Um, and there are people like Len where, and I think Buster Chapman's another one, where if, if it weren't for people like him, Speedway in certain areas of the country would have died off a long time ago. You know, they, 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 they sort of it runs in their blood and they do everything they can to keep it open and and you know you the sport needs people like that yeah and then we we kind of take it back to to you mentioned peter Brewer, where obviously been your your first and last the injuries had piled up but mm. what was that the ankle injury the final straw i mean i think you were only 33 correct mm. me if i'm wrong when when you hung the the kevlar something up. like that yeah we're still a young man and you know, even in speedway terms, you think a lot of riders would, would have another five or six years left. Yeah. And at that I, well, point, I, had you just had I enough think, at that point? I think one one thing I I do think is true is that there is there are certain people that carry on riding. They say it's because they love it, but it's because they can't do anything else. They go, what else are they going to do? You know, without saying any names, like you, we, you know, so that I always had something else to do um so my, my, my family have a, have a have a few businesses in the engineering companies one i was always interested in and involved in and um i if i i, I i'm switched on enough to to know um what you need to earn to live comfortably i know what sort of lifestyle i want to live um and to if i didn't have sort of business to go into, then I would have retired from Speedway by probably 24 because I would have realised I, I wasn't going to make the level that I really, really wanted to make. Um, so I would have retired and because I'd have had to have gone and got another career. I, I would have gone and 
gone and worked at a bank or I'd have gone, do you know what I mean? I would have done something else. Um, but, um, yeah, my, my dad had always said he wanted me to come into the engineering company and, and I was always heavily involved in that anyway because of my bikes and I always took a big interest in it. And, um, yeah, I, so I think, um, I mean, why did I retire? Why did it happen then? I mean, it, I think two years before I retired, it was one, one year. So, so the, just before the Somerset season, I, the workshop manager for my dad had stepped down. He's actually left. He left, that, left our company to go elsewhere. And it was the off season. My dad said, look, come in for a bit and just see how you get on. And cause you're going to have to do it one day. So just come in and get a feel for it before we re replace him. And I went in and I never left because I got involved in it and cared for it and enjoyed it. And that was that. So then, so then I was juggling for the first time ever, I was juggling speedway and, um, and a job. Um, and it was, it was hectic. Like I, you know, my weeks used to look like I'd go to Somerset, I'd leave for Somerset at like nine o'clock in the morning on a Friday. Cause it's a long way for us. Um, after Somerset, my mechanic would drop me off at Stansted. I'd fly to Poland on a Saturday, normally practice, race on a Sunday, fly back in on a Monday morning and go straight to work. I'd like to land at Stansted at eight o'clock in the morning and just drive straight to the office. Um, and then the week would just roll around again. Um, and that's just what I did for a year. And I was quite tired at the end of that Somerset season. Um, um, but then enjoyed a winter of work and, and then sort of got my bikes and everything ready for Peterborough. Um, and I suppose there are a few things that, Resulted in retirement. One of them was that was the first year I'd not got a decent sign on in Poland. Probably my form had gone off a little bit. It was the first year I didn't get a really good sign on, and I and I was like that that annoyed me a bit because um, I felt like I was putting in more of my own money to race. Um, and then um, I just had my second child, so I had my second son. Um, Jack was born that year, um, or he'd just been born the end of the year before. So that was obviously life gets busier, doesn't it? When you have children, um, business was busy. Um, and, and you know, I crashed and, uh, I sort of laid there and I knew something really hurt. Like it, I knew something was really wrong. Um, and it's the first time I've ever laid there and thought, I don't want to get up. Like I'd, I'd like, I'd always like before when I crashed, I'd lay on the floor and I'd think, Oh, what hurts? You know, what, what, you sort of wait for something to be a sort of split second where nothing hurts and all of a sudden be like, oh yeah, shit, it's my wrist or whatever it may be. And then you, then I'd think, okay, okay, well, I've, you know, I've done this a hundred times. I think, okay, well, I've broken something. It's six weeks, I'll be back. And I remember laying there and I was in agony with my foot and I just thought, I don't care. I don't, I, I don't care how long it is. I, I don't, I don't want to get up. Like, I just don't, I don't want to get back on, like I'm done. Um, so it was the right time for me to retire. Um, I don't regret it at all. Um, because I'd never felt that way before. Um, so yeah, that was that really. Um, and I think it's a combination of, of children, probably speedway money not being quite as good as it was. Um, business, th those sort of th three things were were sort of combined to make this this thing. So so yeah, but it's a shame. But but uh, I don't regret it. Uh, you've mentioned your family, obviously. You've mentioned your dad quite a bit, and obviously your brother Road as well. But mo most kind of 
probably people that see you now as Oliver Allen, Team GB manager, won't realise that your dad was actually a rider himself. I mean, the late 70s, he rode for, for Boston, and then the early 80s, he was at Bellevue, also at stints at Peterborough mm-hmm. as well. Um, I can see for the, the, the times that he rode, you would have been a wee bit young to remember your dad, yeah, your dad riding. I, I remember going to Peterborough, I, I remember, I remember him taking me on the like parade truck and stuff like that, so I can, I can vaguely remember that. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I, my speedway's like always been what I wanted to do. Like I just remember, I can remember sort of my dad leaving for speedway with a bike in a trailer, and I always wanted to go. And you know, obviously, you couldn't go all the time, and and it just what I always was into bikes. I mean, I did a lot, played a lot of sports, but bikes was always the one that I wanted wanted to do. Um, and yeah, it was. Well, I'm I I I'm aware that I'm really really fortunate to have done what I wanted to do. Like there, there are speedway, there sorry, there are kids all over the world that dream of being a footballer or a basketballer or whatever it may be. And they they don't, do they? So um I'm I'm lucky. But I'm I'm also really grateful to my my parents for giving me that chance because um I was and this is another thing I realized actually. Um since becoming a great Britain manager and being involved with younger riders and stuff like that, uh, Simon and I, like I, because I, Simon won't mind me saying this because we have this discussion a lot. Simon and I were financially in a position because we had the, the backing of our parents um, that if, you know, there was a meeting in Edinburgh, an open meeting, and we got asked to do it the day before because our parents ran their own business, they could take us. Mm-hmm. Whereas that, you know, not only financially, but time-wise, they could they could commit the time. I mean, my dad sort of talks to me about that time now, and he reckons he was just knackered all the time because he was trying to work forty hours a week or however many hours. When you run your, when you own when you run your own business, you work whatever hours you've got to work. You know, I do that now. If I have to work fifty, then I work fifty, whatever. But my dad was trying to do that and take me around the country. So there will be some people that think, oh, you know, look at it easy. You know, he's his dad can take him everywhere, but at the same time, he was thinking, he was getting home from Swindon at three o'clock in the morning. He's going into work at seven, mm-hmm. you know. So, it, you know, it, but I am I am lucky to have had that financial support, and um, I was always conscious of it because uh, I never wanted to ask for it. I was always like conscious of what other people thought, and um, so I didn't. You know, I, I was never someone that wouldn't ask for anything I didn't feel I needed or something like that. But um, yeah, I, I'm really fortunate that my dad sort of worked hard and was able to give me the sort of opportunity to do what I wanted. And, and was there a sibling rivalry between you and Tommy as well? Not really, because we're never on the same level. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was more him trying to chase you, Ollie, is that what I, you're saying? He was, he was chasing skirt and beer. He was, he wasn't chasing <laughs> me. Um, no, he, he, do you know, we're, we're different people, completely different people. He, he went into speedway late, didn't do junior grass track like I did. Um, like, naturally, he's a much better sportsman than me at everything he does. Um, and he would have been a much better speedway rider than me if he had some sort of commitment or desire to, to do so. But he didn't. He did what he wanted to do and he enjoyed himself. And he was involved in this Rye House team that were just full of, full of jokers. Chris Neath, Edward Kennett, people like that. Um, and they had a great time. And 
but they they dicked about most of it and um i mean he you know he's got some great stories and he you know he enjoyed it but he was never gunning for me and i was never bothered about him because we we were different um he didn't want to he didn't want to achieve any more than he he actually did um whereas i you know i spent probably most of my seasons unhappy that i wasn't doing what i wanted to do um so you know how do you judge who had the better career do you know what i mean you know because he 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 was probably happier. It's crazy, isn't it? but but you know it's how it is. Yeah, and, and you mentioned there, and obviously we'll, we'll we'll move on and and touch on the team GB stuff in a little bit. But normally we don't have people that have a two part career like you do. So we would normally always finish with, with this question: would be looking back at your riding career, if you had the chance to do it all again, would you? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, I I. I People often ask me if I'd do it differently. Um, part of me says I would, and then part of me said I wasn't. And, you know, there, there were years when I wasn't as committed, like I said, but God, did I have a good time. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but I, I, I would certainly, I'd, I'd do it all again. I loved it. Loved it. I mean, I the lessons I learned racing all around the world on my own and traveling and... Um, I loved it and I learned so much from it and you know what so much of it relates to to sort of everyday business and you know some of the having to go into meetings and talk to people you don't know and it's no different to being dropped off in Munich and you've got a race you know for some promoter you've never met before and he's at the airport with a board with your name on and you have to make friends with them and yeah it's just there's there's a lot of like sort of life lessons in there to be learned really so um yeah loved it yeah wouldn't change it and of course, as, as Graham mentioned there, the kind of second half of your kind of speedway story is the kind of the, the management. So to take you back, obviously, the process has been a long one until until now. And I would I would quite easily say it's been a successful one. Um and, and what you guys have done with, with Team GB so far, I mean, the product uh, and the kind of, fra- I would probably say kind of franchise that's been created with mm-hmm. Team GP is, is excellent. Um, it's obviously marketed extremely well as well. But for your own point of view, um, never having stepped into a team manager's role before taking the, the kind of national side alongside, alongside Simon, how did, how did that kind of come about where you were then asked to, to kind of be the the co manager alongside Simon. Um, well, I, I I decided probably four or five years, before, maybe four years before I got the job that that's what I wanted to do. Um, so there were various ways that I felt like I could get into it, and and or put myself in a position to be available for it. And the, one route would have been a, a look. Uh, sort of a, a what do you call it uh, a, a team manager for, for a league club um but my work commitments didn't really allow for that um so that wasn't something i could do um the the, the other way in would have been to work with the fim and do something like that which i had the option to do or you know to to go down that road um in the end i ended up doing i I did a lot of like um I, I, did, I did the Poltec Speedway um stuff so I was involved with coaching um and and developed a program for that and that then led to me doing work for the Grand Prix series so I did um I ran the the what was it called this the Speedway Academy or the, the Grand Prix Speedway Academy or whatever it's called back then um which was basically a 
uh, almost like a school that went to a few Grand Prix each year and coached the the, the kids from that country. So we did them at, held them at Cardiff and Horsens and Stockholm and various places. So I sort of went down the coaching road and that that kind of helped me get my foot in the door. And and then when Robin Bicky painter got sort of took charge of this sort of I guess you call it franchise of Great Britain Speedway. Um um we I'd I'd always had a good relationship with them and I'd done a little bit of work for them on the coaching front for some of their riders and so I had that relationship with them and um yeah and then and then and then obviously that uh, Ross when they took over the franchise Roscoe was already in the job so he he still had a sort of a year left from his sort of BSBA type contract I guess and then once that year was up they had the option to pick who they wanted so they asked asked me and uh, and Simon to do it. So um, I think you know Rob and Vicky are they're clever people. They know what they're doing, and I think um, it worked well having Simon and myself because Simon had that team manager experience, like the, the national clubs. Um, so yeah, I think it's the, the sort of combination of us two work well, and and obviously we're we're, we're best mates, always have been. Um, never fell out over anything you know even when we were racing each other we would knock into each other and never fell out we've always had a good relationship um and it's the same now we we we, even if we don't agree on something we'll talk about it until we do um and we i think we complement each other quite well he's um simon will be the first to admit he does absolutely no admin whatsoever (laughs) um so uh but my, my job's quite office based so i can i can do that okay like i can i can fit that in amongst my normal work and i'll do that but simon possibly has more time to ring around and speak to the riders a bit more than i do so we tend we delegate the, the jobs and and um yeah it works well really um I, I enjoy doing it with him and i couldn't imagine doing it with anyone else to be honest yeah and then of course all but up to to that night in 2021 now you know myself and scott try and not tell too many stories about ourselves. it's all about the guys we were on but we were actually we're both big NFL fans and we were down at yeah. Tottenham Stadium um, for Jacksonville versus Miami that day and I think correct me if I'm wrong Scott but the the, the NFL finished about 10 minutes um, before the end of the speedway so we got out we're sitting in the concourse and I managed to get BT up on my phone as we watched Great Britain win and of course everyone wondering why us two are jumping about going daft in the concourse <laughs> at Tottenham Stadium as everyone else is, is flying out or watching yeah. NFL. But you know, what a night that must be to get Britain back on the top step of the podium. Yeah. What was it, nineteen eighty eight? I thought it was twenty three. Yeah. Twenty four. Sorry. Yeah, twenty three. Thirty three years, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, I mean that was that was incredible. I mean it was um I, I think even if I you know, and I think we could do if, if we win another gold medal. I don't think it will come close to that first one. I mean, that was that was incredible, really. Um, and yeah, I can still I can I, I can remember it all so well now. I can remember sort of my reaction when Magic crashed and trying to sort of do the math and double check the math and triple check it. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure we've won. Like as long as the boys stay on. Um, so. Yeah, that was that was crazy, but it, it was good. I mean, it's you know credit to Rob and Vicky for giving Simon and I the, the platform to to do that job. Um, one one thing I would say, um, and this is me being modest because that's sort of how I am really. But I, with Simon and I are, are are lucky, and we know we are to be doing this job in the time period that we are because we've got we've got 
three riders that are genuinely in the in the top ten in the world now. Um, I, I could probably when we won last won the World Cup was the last time that we had three riders in the top ten in the world. And to be honest, even then, if you look at the team that was it Simon Wig and Kelvin Tatum and Jeremy Doncaster and that, they probably three of them weren't in the top ten in the world. They're probably in the top fifteen. But they weren't in the top ten, and and I think now you could you could genuinely say that Bewley, Woofie, and Robert are all in the top ten. I mean, two of them are in the top six now, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we and also when you say you've got three in the top ten, but the format at the time was you taking three riders. I mean, that's even better, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I I do I, I do I'm not. Uh, you know, I, I used to, I'm not some tactical genius. I'm, uh, you know, I've got the team at a time when it's a good time to, you know, bloody good time to have the team. Um, so it's worked worked well in that way. Um, you, you spoke earlier about the dynamic between you and Simon. What's what's the dynamic like when, obviously, you've got guys like as you say, two in the top six. Ty's obviously a multi world world champion. Like, what, what's the dynamic between those guys like in the kind of team environment? Really good, really good. They um that World Cup week, um the and, and and it's not even the World Cup week, it's leading up to the World Cup. We you know, we we talk a lot and we have a lot of Zoom calls and things like that leading up to the World Cup and we talk about how we're gonna, you know, our sort of itinerary for the week and and then we we talk, sort of ask the riders what we think we can do to help them. Is there any, you know, how can we make this week as successful as possible? Um or as easy as possible for them, you know, what can we do? Um those the, those boys are really good. Like I mean, Ty Wolfenden in particular is is a, just a leader. Like, um, and he he's desperate to to win a gold because I know he won at Bellevue, but in his mind he didn't because he was injured for the second night. He 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 almost doesn't count that as his gold, so he's desperate to win another one uh, because he he wants to tick that off. Um, and no one was more gutted in Rosslab this year than Ty. Like he, he was absolutely distraught after that meeting, um, and um, he, yeah, he, he, I, I speak really highly of him. He is a leader, and and, I, and one thing I, I came out and said after the World Cup and say it again is that people were quick to jump on his back and say that he didn't, you know, he didn't score enough points, um, but what they didn't know is he bought a brand new engine from his engine tuner and gave it to Adam Ellis for the meeting. Um, now you 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 you're talking about a seven grand engine, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's bought it. He's bought it for Adam Ellis. You know, you know, like they. So any points he scored that week, Ty contributed to those as well. And yeah. he didn't just give him. He didn't just give him the engine to say ride that. It was like he's working with them all week on on how to ride the track better and 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 the work he did with Tom. I mean, he doesn't. Ty doesn't need to help Dan and Robert. They know what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. And um, but he he was brilliant, and but but Robert Robert was fantastic as well. Like there, there'll be people that think Robert might be hard to deal with, but in in the World Cup week, he, he's just he's brilliant. He's he's absolutely. I I couldn't ask any I couldn't ask any more of any of them really. Um, so the dynamic is really good, and, and I I get what your where your question would come from because often in mo- in any sport yeah. when you get three sort of alphas together. They they don't always work together, but th- those boys do. So yeah, you know, um, and whether that's, you know, it, it might be, it might have a little bit to do with what Simon and I do. It, it might, it might not be. It might just be that they, that 
they all gel together. But 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 as a unit, we 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 get on well, and we we have a it's a really fun week. Um, it's just a high high stress week. Um, but we you know it's fun, and we we're all there for a sort of common goal, and we we came so close this year. <laughs> so close. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and you kind of touched on it there, and of course we've we went through it. You know, some individual glory in your career, some team glory, and then as team manager, is there any is it a different kind of high you get from that, or or would you say because it's representing your country, would would that speed with nations and and the stuff you do for Team GB now be above what you did, or or kind of is it hard to compare because? Yeah, it's it's hard to compare. Um... I would say, I mean, the, the FIM gold medal for me is the is the is the pinnacle of our sport, isn't it? So actually, that that trumps anything I did individually, and that that medal I've got is is the best thing I've ever achieved in, in speedway, um, and I'm I'm really proud of that, um, and and grateful to to the boys for riding the way they did. Um, so yeah, that's that, that's definitely the biggest thing I've achieved in the sport. Um, and it's something that, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I'll hand down to my kids and they'll be able to keep it if they want. And, you know, you know, grandkids and whatever, they, they've got a gold medal, haven't they? So um, that's, that was, that was pretty cool, really. Um, and it's, it is a different feeling. I mean, I, as a rider, it, I, I get way more stressed as a team manager than I did as a rider. I think as a rider, you're just there looking after yourself. I know I certainly did. Um but you, as a team manager, you're trying to look after everyone. And um, you said, like, I certainly feel with, with the team we've got, it comes with a certain expectation. And you, you do feel that. Like, I, you know, I was exhausted coming into the World Cup week because you just got this expectation of winning the World Cup. And, um, and I felt like we could win it. So that, that almost made it more stressful. I think that's testament to you guys and the, the again the setup that's that's involved in in Team GB as well. Because prior to kind of Rob and Vicky coming in, the, to think that there would be an expectation or that come come the end of World Cup week you would be absolutely devastated that you wouldn't win it. I think that's testament to the progress that's been made uh, over the last over the last few years as well. Um, and how far the, the the kind of team GB has actually came that it's came to that we were we are actually disappointed when we we don't win yeah, it, yeah. especially when with the way the format was this year, it came back to the kind of to the World Cup week, mm. um, where not being the Speedway Nations and you've got you've got four four riders in the team, it, it then becomes more difficult when you look at the kind of Polish kind of set up yeah. on their home track, etc. So it's definitely mm. a testament to you guys. But it's not just that for you, Ollie, as well. Is the the majority of people would see Team GB manager as I ah, team manager for one week of the year. Um, mm -hmm. It's most definitely not that for you. Having having seen some of your calendar and spent some time with you in Germany this year as well, it's not just about the World Cup week, is it? There's a there's a lot more to it in terms of no, these far flung places that you end up yeah. each year. <laughs> yeah, there's there's like there's events in. Like we have the European pairs, European team championship, which all have qualifying rounds as well. And then there's the European under 23 team championship. And, and they, they are, they're not the flagship events like, like the World Cup or Sweden Nations, but what they are is a shop window for riders that we're looking at for the next couple of years. So you, you're always looking ahead and 
um, trying to, you know, I, I, I think, for example, Tom Brennan, two, three years ago, when we first did the job, Simon and I looked at our under 21 riders and we were like, we, we sort of, we, we, we knew Dan was very good. He'd already arrived on the scene by then. He was riding in Poland and doing very well, but we were, look, we were, we were conscious that like, who's next? Like who, who are we going to need in a few years time? And Tom was the one that stood out uh, as the top rider, which he was like, no one could argue that. Like he was the, the statistically the best under 21, other under 21 rider we had. Um, and not only that, we, we you know you look at various things like their attitude and their their commitment and their equipment and things like that. And so we we took Tom to every European event we could for the for the last three years. And and I've seen and when we first took him to these European events, he'd not done much racing abroad, but we managed to give him those opportunities, and they led to him getting team spots in these countries. And and now he now he's a part of these European events and he's like leading the team or one of the better riders in the team or stronger riders in the team. So I've seen this, seen this progress and, and I don't, I'm not saying for one second that it's just because he did these meetings, but I think they've helped and, and I think they've put him in the shop window and I think they've also, it also gives Simon and I a chance to work with him um, for, for a period of time and now you look at him and he's in the World Cup Um and he did well in the World Cup. Like I know he, I know he didn't, he didn't score any points, and he'll be annoyed he didn't score more. But there he is at Roslav in the World Cup final, going toe to toe with Doily for four laps. Now, three years ago, I'm taking him to Macon in France for uh, an event where he's reserved and maybe gets a couple of rides. Um, but it's you know he, he he would always take those rides and willingly and and learn. So there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and we're and we're always looking at. You know who's next and who's, you know when when I'm 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 already thinking you know, Speedway World Cup in a few years time. You know is is Ty going to do it then? Don't know. I hope so. I really really hope so. But maybe he's not. So the other guys are quite young. But who's next? You know after Tom, who is next? Like if I asked you that now, what would you say? Genuinely, who's next? I wouldn't have a definitive answer for you, but no. yeah. So, so you, so we we're talking about that a lot, and we're like, right, okay. So we we think you've got like four or five years, four years to you 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 got to got to find a few, haven't you? You got you got to pick a few out and and develop them and and then try and give them like training days and give them coaching and be there on the phone for them and try and help them develop. So, um, that's what we you know that's the sort of thing you're always looking out for um and and trying to learn and that's what we and, and and we try and that's why i try and keep as close an eye on the young riders as i can and and we have these academy days where we've got we've got coaches like jason crump who are coaching our young riders and rory schlein does a great job um and his feedback about the youngsters is really good um and and that that's the sort of that's the sort of stuff that ticks over in the background almost every day that people don't see mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned there, it's that stuff that, that people don't know about. Oh, we asked for an hour of your time. I think we've now taken an hour and a half, so I could ask you a hundred questions, but you mentioned the man's name there again, and I think you told us, you might not even remember, an hour and a half ago or so now, that hmm. you had a wee story about Crumpy for us, having listened oh, yeah. to the My Life and Speedway. So maybe just to, to finish up, or, or to start wrapping up anyway, um, tell us tell us a few memories about that man, Crumpy. So uh, this is, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you... I'll give you two. I'll, I'll give you one. 
one is just sort of credit to him as a rider. So I, I rode for, with him for three years in Sweden and, um, you know, you, you, you hear about good riders that can only ride this, you know, they're, they're very good on this type of track or they're not very good when it's wet or you know, whatever it may be. I rode with him for three years and I rode on big, small, grippy, slick, bumpy, wet, dry, you know, whatever. And that road got between those that was in the tax sub days, we'd have six rides because we often lost. Um, he, he'd, he'd scored between 12 and 18 points every week for three years. Now, it didn't matter whether it, it was raining or hot or small or grippy. It didn't matter. That bloke was unbelievable. Like, I, he was so that, – that was in that period where – do you remember when he kept getting second in the World Championship? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it was like second, second, second. And that was around that time. And what, a, what a rider. Um, just brilliant. Fantastic. Um, the, 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 the slightly funnier story is I remember once – this was a bit of a bit of a light bulb moment. So this was sort of in a period where I was probably enjoying myself too much. Um, I was starting to enjoy myself too much. And I'd, we'd had a, I remember we had a, we had a Swedish under 21 versus Sweden under 21, like test match series in the UK. We'd done one on the Monday and I'd got 15 out of 15. And it was against like Lindgren and Limbach and those guys. So it was a good, good, good lineup. Um, I had a maximum that day. Then I went to Sweden on Tuesday, same team as Jason. And I got fucking hammered after the meeting with like, because in, in our team, we also had Steve Johnston, uh, Joe Screen, Jason Lyons. So, you know, you know, those boys, right? So, you know, you know what the night out with them is like. So, so the t- Tuesday, I'm like 20 years old and I'm trying to keep up with them just because I want to be one of the lads, just trying to fit in. Um, so Wednesday morning, I fly back to the UK and I got the worst hangover. And I was racing at Wimbledon that night and the little tracks weren't my thing anyway. And it was Wimbledon and it was against it was the second Swedish test match. Um, and I got, it was on Sky Sports and I got two, I got, I had two wins and two exclusions. And after the second exclusion, I spat my dummy out on TV, just behaved like a brat. Um, and went to the change rooms after the meeting and I had a, had a text on my phone and it was from Crumpy and it, it just said, uh, it was uh, drink less, full stop, sleep more, full stop. He obviously watched it on TV and I didn't even, I, did, I didn't have the guts to reply. I just couldn't, I was so embarrassed um, at my sort of behaviour and, and, and also that I thought I'd hidden it from him that I was hanging out of my arse. Obviously he knew. Um, I was on the same flight with him, but I was just, you know, trying to keep my head down. Um, and I, I read that and I just was just embarrassed. I was just like, what a fucking idiot, you know? Like, um, and and that you feel about two inches tall, yeah, yeah, <laughs> if that, if that. Uh-huh. Um, and I just, yeah, like I said, I didn't we've never even spoke about it, I've never even told him like that, but I just I didn't even reply, I just couldn't. Um, he never spoke to me about that again, he just, um. Yeah, that's, that's that's all it said, and I just thought, yeah, he's about right there. Um, but it still took me another couple of years for that to really settle. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the penny didn't drop straight away. Not, not straight away. No. <laughs> I felt like I needed a couple of drinks to get over the text, so it just just kind of rolled on. <laughs> well, Ollie, um, thanks very much for joining us in my life in Speedway. It's been a fascinating listen, uh, getting no, through your, no problem, your, boys. your career no and. Uh, obviously with the Team GB stuff as well we, we thank you for joining us No no problem, I really enjoyed it, it's great you know, I, I, 
I'm passionate about Speedway, so I can I can like you boys, I can talk about it all day. So it's um, anytime, guys, anytime. Talk Speedway, Talk Speedway. So Graham, I absolutely love that chat with with Ollie. He was very open, very honest, exactly what you're you're looking for for these types of interviews. And it was it was fa- it was fascinating for me to go th- go through all of that uh, with him, like especially those kind of early stages of his career. Um, looking at the kind of mindset, you know, I love the kind of mindset of the professional yeah. sportsman, <laughs> uh, but the the kind of sliding doors moments in people's careers and stuff. And it, it's it's nice to hear him being so so honest and in, in, in these types of interviews as well. Yeah, yeah, fascinating is exactly what I was going to use. When you said it there, I was very quick to try to Google synonyms for fascinating to come up with a better and fancier <laughs> one. Um, but no, that was that was outstanding. And I think, yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? He said he maybe didn't race to make friends, but I always kind of think the marker someday in Speedway is if they have a testimony or the, the caliber of the riders that, that are there and show up. And when I was doing a bit of research before, I don't know if you've on YouTube, but actually it was on Motors TV. Uh, remember when they used to show Speedway back in the day that, the, uh, always testimonial from Coventry. Did that come on by accident when you were watching it back in the day, did it? <laughs> <laughs> that must have been at half seven. It wasn't what was on at nine o'clock. Um, but yeah, and, and the final that meeting was on and it was uh, Chris Holder, Jason Crump, Freddie Lundgren and Eddie Kennett, who of course was probably Coventry number one at the time or there or thereabouts. And and that for me shows the the make, you know, the, the friends and the, the people he would have had in his side over his speedway career. That kind of shows and and it still shows now, doesn't it? Absolutely, and as I say, it's the, it's the, it's the way that he, he carried himself during his, his career as well, and I absolutely loved uh, the story at the end uh, about the, <laughs> the text message, because I'm sure we've all had something similar, but not off the, 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 the a world champion right enough, and I think the two years can testify um, any kind of conversation with Jason Crump is <laughs> intimidating. That part I can assure you for anybody that's already listened to the Jason Crump episode, the, the kind of mentality of a world champion is as intimidating. And I imagine that's what it was like for, for Ollie at that point as well. But one thing I wanted to pick up on was it was the kind of dynamic within the, the, the Team GB. It was a kind of it, it was a kind of exclusive kind of insight into what that's like. And all I did get what I was trying to kind of grasp here when you've got three kind of GP guys like like Ty, Robert and, and Dan uh, in the mix there. I always do often wonder how those those kind of guys mix together or whatever, but it's not difficult to see that those guys would go on. If I, if I remember right, Ty kind of took Robert under his wing a bit when he was a bit younger and then obviously took Dan under his wing as well. So... If we're talking about alpha males, to use kind of always word, it'll always be tied. It's the alpha male within that kind of setup. But it is interesting to see that they and to hear that all of the guys do go on, and it is a is a is a good atmosphere within the, the squad as well. And I, I mean what I say, it's testament to the guys that were actually disappointed when we don't win. Yeah, you're right. It's you know we all know how speedway works these days, and. And pretty much every rider across Europe will be riding with somebody on Monday and against them on a Tuesday kind of thing. But it is it shows how well it works. You know, the I guess probably the, the only thing I could think to compare it to would be like, I don't know, you know, internet I mean, I guess in international sport, but something like the dream team, NBA, where it's the best of the best. You know, when when they bring that team together, it's the ten or twelve or ten or the off the twelve best, you know, guys on the planet. At that and and they're all used to being number one, you know, whether it was Michael Jordan, whether it was Larry Bird, whether it was whoever, you know, anyone that's watched uh, 
the last dance or akin to just how how Michael Jordan could be single minded and then to have the ability to kind of change that and, and get everyone all moving in the one direction, which you know it sounds like everyone is is always told the story there that and we've even seen it I guess in Poland in the last few weeks with somebody like Ty that yeah okay I might be injured or might not be able to help but. You know, me casa, Sue casa. My equipment's your equipment. You need a bike. My bikes are probably better than yours. Jump on it. Mm. I think the probably the best example I keep thinking is the kind of Ryder Cup, where you've got guys competing against one another individually all the time. And then once every two years they've got to come together as a kind of as a kind of team and how they kind of how they the dynamics then then kind of change as well. But yeah, I mean it is testament again to Ty. Like he obviously as a, a team man, he's obviously passionate about it. He's obviously got a, a an ambition of his own to win the, the kind of World Cup on track, uh, rather than uh, being there injured or whatever it may be. So um that's always nice to hear, especially going into the next few years, because we know Ty's not going anywhere anytime soon anyway. Yeah. Um so it would be it would be interesting to see. Uh, how that kind of develops over that but again the honesty there as well considering he's a sitting manager at this point it's, it's nice to hear the kind of open honest answers that all he gave us um, just looking ahead we're going to have shows coming up as we say we're, we're planning having a lot of shows throughout the winter we can't obviously commit to every week because it's difficult to get hold of people cause for, for the length of time that we need them <laughs> to record these shows um, but we think we've done not bad so far Um you probably find us on social media somewhere, but we are on Instagram uh, X, the artist formerly known as Twitter, mm-hmm. um, and Facebook. So you can keep up to date uh, with the podcast there. If you can like, share, subscribe, whatever you want to do. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts or whatever, make sure that you leave comments and stuff like that. Help us push us up the board and stuff. Um, it would be greatly appreciated. We are, of course, on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music now as well. One uh, listener uh, recommended us for that. So that seems to be going great guns so far as well. So um, definitely a lot of places you can listen and a lot of places you can keep up to date with us as well. So until next Next time on Talk Speedway. Goodbye. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway.